Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. So, Mara, another big exit in daytime. Dominic Zampronia has left the role of GH's Dante, and you spoke to him exclusively for a story we're doing in an upcoming issue. What can you tease? Well, first of all, I have to say it was a very bittersweet conversation for me uh, to have because I really do hate to see Dom go uh, very selfishly. I'm happy for him and what the future holds for him. But, you know, I had always sort of held out hope that Dom would be given his storyline due. But I asked him to talk me through his decision to leave. And he was very candid about how long he'd been thinking about it, why he ultimately made the decision and whether there was anything the show could have done to talk him into staying. And We also talked about how emotional his last day there was, how he packed up his dressing room sort of quickly so that he wasn't overwhelmed with all of the memories and history represented in the the decor of his dressing room where he'd spent nine very, you know, life-altering years of of his time on this planet and how choked up he got when uh, Frank invited Maurice Bernard, who, of course, plays his father, Sonny, to make a speech after he'd wrapped his final scene and when it was time for him to say his goodbyes to his castmates and his crew. And I got a little choked up just hearing about it, but I I really do think it'll it'll be a a can't-miss interview for for GH fans. Oh, it absolutely will. I loved reading it, so everyone can look out for that coming soon. But in the issue we have on sale now, we look back at 12 shows that are no longer on the air. Now, Mara, I know you did a lot of research for this section, and I have to say I loved revisiting so many of these old soaps. So what cancellation would you say you were hardest hit by? I think that Santa Barbara was probably the first show that I ever really loved that was canceled. And I I do remember feeling that, like, even though the quality of the show had perhaps waned in later years, I was still really hard hit uh, to just have it gone. And, you know, I covered a show that was canceled, All My Children. And I had been covering that show for like eight years. And it was a big part of my life, not only as a viewer I'd been watching for decades, but going to the set, talking to the actors, you know, I felt sort of a something sort of similar, I would say, to I think how the cast and crew felt when they weren't in each other's lives as constantly anymore. So that definitely on a personal level was the most profound for me. What about you? Um, I'd say it's a toss up between Another World and As the World Turns. Another World I had watched before I came to the magazine, and it was the first show I covered for the magazine. 
And World Turns, I mean, just on both shows, there were so many talented actors. I mean, like, there aren't all of them, of course. And I just felt like it was too soon for both. I felt like there were mm-hmm. a lot more stories to tell. Mm-hmm. So when I looked back at a lot of these shows as we were working on this section, it really kind of came into focus for me how many shows, as they were nearing the ends of their runs, really kind of tried to do outrageous things to garner the audience's attention, whether it was Search for Tomorrow had a huge flood, wipe out most of the town of Henderson or on Another World. There was that Jordan-Amanda time travel story toward the end there, but they really kind of strayed far from you know, the original concepts for those shows. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at Guiding Light. They were filming outdoors in Peapack, New Jersey, which ultimately really did not do the show any favors. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't even look like a soap anymore. And I feel that it was like kind of going for that reality show feel. It was like when The Hills was out on MTV. And I just feel like that's not what soap fans are looking for. They want their soap to look like a soap. Yeah, I, you know, I had started watching Guiding Light in 1990, and I had been with it through so many different eras, and that was a hard one for me to watch because it was so far afield from the Springfield I had originally known and loved. Mm-hmm. So today we're talking to Jason Thompson, who plays Billy on Y&R, but is also quite beloved as GH's Patrick. Now, before Jason came to Genoa City, there was quite a Billy shuffle going on. Uh, Billy Miller left, who was super popular, and the show brought back David Tom, who had won an Emmy for the role when he previously played it. Then newcomer Burgess Jenkins was hired, and after he was let go, Jason took over. Now, the thing is, Jason has been so great in this role. He's kind of a different Billy, but he's super successful in his own right. And, you know, he just brings, like, a different fun dynamic to it. But in general, like, as much as I'm saying, like, this one was so successful, I find that I am not the hugest fan of recasts anymore. Yeah, I think you have to write for the audience you have, not the audience you you wish you had, which is maybe coming in and you know, not familiar with history of a character and therefore can glom onto whatever version a new actor presents to them. Um, On paper, for instance, you know, Dante, he's the son of Sonny and he's the husband of Lulu. But at the same time, if some random dude came in like two months from now playing Dante, I think it would be very difficult for a lot of viewers to accept. But, you know, some of my favorite characters on soaps were recast, you know, but I think it was easier for me when I started watching when the recast was already there. And so to me, they were the original. I think of like Anne H. playing Vicky and Marley on Another World, for example. I didn't know from uh, Ellen Wheeler. Right. So now I did know from Ellen Wheeler because she actually started playing Vicky when I was watching. And it was just the most amazing transformation between Marley and Vicky. But then Anne came and she brought something totally different. And then, of course, Jensen Buchanan took over and she was amazing as well. So again, it's very funny. I'm almost like making a statement and then I am disproving my own statement. But I guess I find now with fewer shows, there's just a lot of like cast swapping and plucking and you kind of can't help but think of the other role that these recasts played. Like I look at Jason and I kind of think of Patrick sometimes. Mm -hmm. I look at Drew on GH and I find myself thinking of YNR's Billy. But I guess I just sort of feel like sometimes I wish that they would bring on someone who is connected to the family, like a new character, because you have a blank slate, like introduce a cousin Mm -hmm. that we never heard about, or maybe bring on an actor or a kid that we haven't seen in years just to give kind of like some fresh blood without trying to make someone work in a new role, because it doesn't always work. Right, right. And I think, you know, I think recasts are more than just recasts. They're to me sort of inescapably character reinventions because how one actor plays a role is inevitably going to be different from their predecessor. Absolutely. So I have to say, I think when like decades have passed between when a character was in the town and the recast happens, it's a lot easier. For for instance, 
I do remember the original Julian Jerome, who was on uh, General Hospital in the late 80s, early 90s. But when William DeVry came in, Julian was a blank slate to me because I hadn't seen him. You know, I hadn't seen Julian in 20 years. So he could really have become anyone in that time. Absolutely. That's why it works, because now he's Julian. But the funny thing about Jason, actually, is how much he looks like Jess Walton, because all of the other Billies have been blonde. Right. And so now when I actually watch scenes between Jess and Jason, I see so much more of a mother-son connection. And I don't know, that actually does something for me in terms of making him feel a little more like Billy. Mm -hmm. Um, So how about we get Jason on the phone and see what he has to say? Hi, Jason. Hi. It's Stephanie Sloan. How are you? And Mara Levinsky. Hi, Stephanie. Yes, hi. How are you? Good. Good. How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking. Thanks for joining us today. We're excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. So Mara and I were actually just having a discussion about recasts. Now, when you came on to YNR, you came on as a recast. When you went on to GH, you created a role. So did you feel any added pressure when you took over the role of Billy? Yeah, for sure I did. Um, There are other people that put their stamp on the character. There are um, um, what what keeps us going is the fan base. And, and, you know, you want to do justice to the character and to the canvas of the show and represent the show well and the network well and yourself well and, you know, do justice to the story. And so all of that combined, yeah, I definitely felt pressure. But, you know, I, I... kind of chose to try and use it as an advantage and not let it cripple me. And so I just tried to, you know, put my head down and listen to everything that everybody was telling me or or giving me um, information about the character or their relationships and what the writers and producers were helping me with. And so, you know, slowly but surely trying to make yourself comfortable in, in a new skin. And that's kind of how I looked at it. But I was definitely nervous about it. What do you remember about the experience, you know, you were coming off of 10 years on a show and you certainly developed close ties and habits and routines in one studio. And then all of a sudden you're in a new workplace. So what are, what are the standout memories for you of, of when you first joined YNR and were kind of finding your footing? I think, um, you know, it's the same genre, of course, we all know. So there are similarities there, um, different stage, different people, different character, all those kind of things are, you know, kind of go without saying, but, um, I just, I felt comfortable. Um, I think I, I was ready to, I was ready to challenge myself in a different way. And I mean, you know, not reinventing the wheel, of course, it's within, like I said, the same genre and everything else. But at the same time, I kind of needed to somewhat prove to myself that I could take something else on and, and, and a different, again, like a different skin and see if I can, um, you know, I needed to challenge myself in my life and my work. And um, that's kind of the opportunity that I looked at this. Um, this is what it meant to me in, in some sort of way. Now, coming over there, um, you know, I think if you're a fan of daytime, uh, I don't know if you can not be a fan of, you know, Peter Bergman's and, and Jess Walton's and Gina's and Amelia. They're just fantastic people and constantly put out amazing work for a very, very long time. And so they know what it's like. Um, Jess was a recast. Peter was a recast. Gina was a recast. Amelia was a recast. They were all at one point recast. And, and um, so I couldn't be surrounded by better people. So they made me feel very, very comfortable as far as, you know, stepping on set. What I remember is just, you know, trying to, stay calm and just trying to be relaxed and and listen to what was going on and try and pick up what I could without making too big of a a footprint of my own 
personal being there, but just try and do the work. And I just remember, you know, yeah, taking a couple deep breaths and, and just really grateful for the people that I was surrounded with. That was it. It was very apparent very early on that they had a good thing going on there and people were grateful to be working. And um, it was a, a very nice, let's say, nice stage um, just to kind of be on. And it was smooth moving and it was calm and you were able to just, you know, get to work. And I, I really appreciated that. I mean, you really are surrounded by such an incredible group of actors on Y&R. But you did mention Gina. So let's talk about the popularity of Phyllis and Billy. When you guys first started working together, (laughs) did you know that this couple would strike such a chord with the audience? No, not at all. I mean, I don't think anybody really did. I don't think the writers or producers, and I mean, I I don't think I'm talking out of turn here, but I just, uh, I don't think that anybody realized that it was going to be more than what it was possibly just a little fling to kind of disrupt a little bit of, uh, you know, the Jack and and Phyllis story and, and, you know, and Billy, who better to kind of ruffle feathers than that guy. And so I don't think anybody really expected it, but I, you know, we were all very excited about the opportunity and we kind of realized early after it started that we had a good dynamic, the three of us working together. And so we all just really kind of worked hard. We, you know, we, we talked about stories. We talked about what we were doing the day of, you know, an hour before we got on stage, we really tried to work it. And, um, and I think that, you know, when you put the work in like that, the chemistry happens, you know, it can be there naturally, of course, but when you put the work in, and I feel like we did, the story started to really kind of unravel in an interesting way. And I think we all kind of were a little bit surprised by that, but we took stock of it and, um, you know, took the opportunity to really run with it. And I think that's, you know, hats off to, I say, the three actors like Peter and and um, Gina, mainly. Um, of course, there were more people involved, but you know, and the writers for just noticing the potential. Um, that's the beautiful thing about what we do. I think is that we can shake things up on the run. We can kind of zig and zag, and um, you know, it keeps it fun and exciting, and not necessarily too grounded in like you know um, what the idea originally was. We can always kind of maneuver it a little bit, which is fun. What is your best guess as to why that parent caught fire is it do you think it's a chemistry thing like what 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 is your take on that yeah i think it's i mean i think it's all that kind of stuff it takes it takes some really great storytelling also of course i mean that's the main reason but yeah it takes um you know you chemistry is a, is a big thing and chemistry can come in different ways it can come from just natural and like i said or you have to work for it and um you know, really understand the story. I think Gina and I personally put a lot of work into really trying to understand the human behavior of these two people in these moments. And, and, you know, and we kind of always had a little saying, we would work on it, work on it. And then before we were by the tape, we'd be like, okay, let's just be two people in this situation and try and make it human. And I think that's what we, we worked hard to do. Um, And I feel like these two characters, they can kind of understand each other in a weird way, in in a um, misfit kind of way. Um, And I think that, um, I think people kind of gravitate towards that and they seem to have fun together and, um, you know, and they push the boundaries together and they seem to be on the same team majority of the time. And I think that uh, that's fun to watch. What would you say is like your favorite thing about working with Ms. Gina Tognoni? Um, 
I keep going back to this, but I feel like she wants to work hard, which is great because I feel like I kind of, and I don't mean that other people don't, I don't mean that by any means. It's just, it's a different, we work similar. We tr- we try to kind of break it down and find, find out what's going on and what this line really means and, you know, get deeper on a deeper level with it. And at the end of the day, I think when you can do that work underneath the surface, then the stuff on top just kind of ends up happening. And to me, when I'm working opposite somebody, that trust is there. And that's what I have with Gina. That's what I I feel like we both have. We have a, we have a lot of trust in each other. I know that she's going to be prepared and available to whatever happens on the day. Um, If I say something different or she does, I feel like we're both listening. And so that is just, it's really fun to work with somebody like that. You don't know exactly how the scene's going to go. I can't tell you how many times we've said, wow, that was fun. Not at all what I expected, but that was really fun scene or, that was a cool set that we just did. It's not how we planned on it, but you know, great. That's how it's supposed to happen. So um, it's that kind of just energy that we have together is um, it just makes it a lot of fun to, to work with somebody like that. Would you say you guys are spontaneous during the scenes when you're filming them? Do you, cause you guys have some fun moments. I mean, do you plan those or do they just come up while you're taping? I mean, I think it's probably, yeah, I say we do have a lot of fun with that kind of thing, and the characters do, and I think it's, you know, there's a line that's crossed somewhere in between with two of us having fun in it and seeing if we can kind of, you know, bring a little bit of snap to it. But some of it's rehearsed or talked about, some of it's not. I would say it's, I don't know, I'd say most of it's probably not in the fun little things, but a lot of them are. Um, You know, of course, if I am going to do or if I have an idea or if she does and it's something that kind of, is a little bit more than just a small little moment. We'll talk about it and say, Hey, do you mind if I do this? Or what if we do this here? And you know, and you can do that. And so we can talk about some of that stuff, but a lot of it just kind of happens on the whim, but I will say that over the last like year and a half they've, or two years or so, they've definitely wrote us with a little bit more of the comedy side. And, um, you know, I say comedy and I guess quotations in a way, it's not your typical half hour comedy, but it's a little bit more of a relationship based comedy. And, um, you know, it's really, really fun for us to play that. We get off on that kind of thing and just kind of go for it. You could tell that they write them because you guys do them so well also. Now, obviously, Summer's return has stirred up some chaos in the Philly home, and Billy is being tempted by his old <laughs> demons like gambling. Um, so what has it been like for you to explore yes. that part of your character, which you really hadn't played until now? No, I haven't. Um, I was... Uh, you know, again, it was one of those nervous moments. It, I, I feel like it um, It was like, okay, so the audience has seen two, three other actors go through this, and that's what they're doing, and so how do I make this my own? How do I make it real for myself? And, you know, find my personal take on stuff. And, um, you know, there's a moment, I don't know if it's aired yet or anything else, or maybe it was, but there's a moment where he talks about his addiction, and, you know, I feel like when I was working on that, I had to make this really personal for me because this was the first kind of indication that the audience is going to have what gambling means to quote unquote, my Jason Billy. Um, and, um, so, you know, I haven't had, um, I haven't had a lot of experience with, I haven't had any really experience with the gambling side of Billy. So, um, it, it was, it's important to kind of, you know, try and make sure you get it right and make sure that it feels, um, that is definitely like a demon that's rearing his head. And, um, you know, at the same time, not to take away what anybody else has ever done. I mean, because all the history that the other actors have, have, um, portrayed with this character are, are now is my history. So I have to, I have a certain responsibility to take that on also. 
What does that look like? I mean, I just, it's an interesting idea, but I have no idea, not being an actor, how you try to mm. show respect for other iterations and versions that you may not have even seen before. I feel like just making it honest, making it real for myself. I mean, I talk about things that, you know, whether it's things that Billy and Victoria have been through or Peter or Jack and Jack and Billy have gone through or my gambling and, you know, talking about how I've almost lost it all and, and things like that. And I just, I have to make it real for myself. Like I have to believe the moments in it and turn, I feel like you can, trust that the actor was there for those moments or that character was there for those moments and not just saying them. I don't know how else to really explain or how else to do it. I, for myself, I have a pretty good, um, I guess, um, I don't know if I can, you know, bull crap meter for myself. And I, I get really upset with myself if I overly fake about something or if I don't know what I'm saying, it, it bothers me for, you know, maybe days after. And so I, I have to try and make it feel at least as real as possible. I say that in, you know, a general context of how fast we go, how much we have to go, but it's, it's a challenge to me to try and make those moments real. And, and um, even if I wasn't there, even if it wasn't written for me, um, even if it was already portrayed by somebody else, you know, I, I still have to make it feel real for myself. And, and it's just, I think it's like a respect for the story. It's respect for the other characters that went through it. And it's res- most of all, it's respect for the fans that, you know, gave energy into those moments. They either laughed or they cried or they felt pissed off at the character. And that's real stuff. I feel like I have to give validation for the moments that people have already done. Mm -hmm. Um, Now on GH, you were a neurosurgeon and you're a corporate shark on Y&R. So which dialogue, medical or corporate, is easier to memorize? (laughs) You know what? I thought it was going to be the corporate world stuff. Because the doctor stuff was really difficult and it was like, you know, it, I, it could have been another language for me a lot of times. I um, mean, it felt like it was. And then when I got into the whole corporate CEO stuff and I got thrown into the office and having, I was having a really difficult time with it. Like I had to really, I was nervous throughout those scenes um, or moments before at least. And I, I it's a hard one. I, I mean, I'm going to have to say the doctor stuff is more difficult, but it took me a while to get a handle on the corporate stuff felt daunting to me in those moments. You expected a, a bigger gap of difficulty, <laughs> but no such luck. Yeah, I did. I really did, honestly. I, yeah, a, a big gap, but it wasn't as big as I wanted it to be. <laughs> um, now, Jason, your fellow Canadian, Dominic Zampronia, is taking his leave yeah. from General Hospital. Have you talked to him about uh, this uh, sad Port Charles turn of events? Yeah, it is sad, I think, for a lot of people. Um yeah, we did. We talked a lot as he was kind of going through it just because we're friends, of course. We we know what the deal is in a lot of ways and, um, you know, family and jobs and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, we were we hung out a couple of times in the last couple of months and talked quite regularly. And, um, you know, all I can say is that is it's a loss for the fans, for sure. I feel like Dom bought a very... Um, He's a very real actor, um, and that's hard to find in this genre, I, I feel like. And I think I feel like it's kind of tough to lose somebody like that. But at the same time, he's happy. He felt like it was the right thing for him to do and his family in time to kind of change it up. And I, I understand where he's coming from in that kind of way. I mean, who knows what he's going to do as of right now, but he's very, very capable at many, many things. And, um, you know, he's he's happy. He feels like it's the right time for him. So at that point, you know, I just I respect making a tough decision. 
Absolutely. Now, I have a burning question for you as the general hospital editor. Okay. Jason, what do you think Patrick Drake would make of Jason Morgan's return from the dead? Uh, he'd probably laugh and just go back to work. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Outside of Dominic, who else from General Hospital do you stay in touch with? Um, I talk to Steve every once in a while, of course. Mo every once in a while. Um, a couple of the, you know, makeup and hair. Um, Frank is always nice enough to, you know, text on a birthday and say hello and vice versa. Um, of course, Fanola. Kimberly, Brooklyn, we, we FaceTime a couple times a month or whatever. And um, yeah, so I mean, there's a handful of people. There's, there's quite a bit of people there that I don't really know at all anymore. Um, you know, Chad, whenever I see Chad, it's always good to catch up with him. But um, everybody's busy. Everybody's got families. And it's not an excuse to not talk as often as we'd like. But, um, but we, I think uh, I've kept up with a certain amount of people there. And it's, it's nice to, you know, it's nice to know that everybody's doing well and, and hanging out and, um, you know, having a good time. Well, speaking of families, you have quite the adorable one. You've been sharing such great photos on social media of your kids. Um, mm-hmm. So, first of all, tell us, how mm-hmm. was your Father's Day? Oh, it was beautiful. We were up in uh, Zion National Park um, in Utah. And, uh, yeah, it was great. You know, um, we went for a hike in this uh, this through the Virgin River and the Narrows and um, in Utah Mountains there in Zion. And I couldn't have asked for a better day. Uh, it was my first Father's Day, uh, father of two, which was really, really cool. Um, in the last two years, I've gone to from, you know, not having any children to having two. And so that happened quick, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I got a fantastic wife that, uh, you know, makes every day feel pretty special. But on days like Father's Day and everything else, she's um, she goes out of her way. And so that was... That was a nice one. That's awesome. Well, how would you describe yourself as a dad? Are you like a relaxed dad? Are you an uptight dad? Are you a little of both? (laughs) It's funny you say that because this is a conversation my wife and I had last night. Um, We were listening. It's a tough. Yeah, you were. Yeah. (laughs) You know, damn Apple phone. (laughs) Um, um, It's it's a tough. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I. so I love freedom for kids, for anybody, really, of course. Um, and, and being an actor, it's one of those things you want it. You want people to feel free. Um, and Bowie feels very free in so many ways. So I try not to get too much in the way, but at the same time, I, you know, I definitely want him to understand some boundaries and, and I want him to just listen every once in a while. That would be cool. Um, you know, just like, Hey, come here. Don't, walk into the middle of the road and he turns it into a game and he starts running and it's all things I think parents go through, but, um, you know, it's tough. Uh, it's, um, it's a line that I'm constantly kind of thinking about. I, I think, you know, uh, Paloma on father's day, we were talking about it, just what the day meant and everything else. And she said that what she really appreciates is I, I feel like, um, or she feels like I, I go off instinct a lot of times when, when he might be, he might need something different than what, you know, quote unquote, the book, the book might call for or, or whatever. I, um, she, she appreciates that. So I think that looking on it objectively, um, you know, there's moments that I'll sit him down and just be like, Hey, we, we need to talk about this real quick and just make a real kind of human connection and not just try and pull something away from him and tell him to go away and not explain things to him. Um, I, I, we kind of, make the effort to take the time in the moments to try and make sure that um, it's understood. And I think, 
you know, obviously there's boundaries for children, um, but I try and do my best to be as patient as possible with them and try and, you know, let them know the reasons why we can or cannot do things. And, you know, that's with Bowie, who's two years old and he's got a lot of energy and it's a beautiful energy that he's had. He's a very, very happy boy. And it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. And for Rome, you know, she's nine months, what, a couple of days ago, I think it was. Um, and, um, and it feels like Bowie was just that age, but here we are doing it again, getting her teeth and, and learning to wave and doing all these kind of things, starting to kind of talk a little bit and starting to kind of crawl. And it's just, it's happened so quickly and, and it's a girl this time. And so now I'm trying to understand the difference between that and the boy energy and the girl energy. And so, yeah, it's a constant kind of, I don't know. I'm always checking in with myself and checking in with Paloma and we're trying to figure out, can we do something better? Can, can we, you know, do this differently. Can we understand him better? What's he trying to, you know, how, what's he trying to say, even though he doesn't have the vocabulary. Um, and sorry, I'm going on a little bit here, but there's another thing that we talked about. And I think it kind of helps me a little bit is just understanding the human behavior as an actor. I feel like I, I use that with the kids a little bit, not to always like diagnose them or anything like that, or trying to figure out what mentally they're kind of going through because, you know, to each its own. But at the same time, I use that kind of like, what is he, what is his brain trying to do here? And how do I, you know, circumvent that in a way to help him? So, you know, it's a constant, it's a constant conversation with myself, how to kind of the lines, where to zig and where to zag. Have you had the opportunity to meet Kimberly McCullough's little boy yet? Yeah, he's a gorgeous little boy. He's a very, very happy boy, too. And they're extremely good parents and happy parents. I'm, I'm just, you know, very, very happy for her. She, um, you know, she deserves it. And um, I'm just, I'm very happy for her and her life right now. She's just doing great. She's doing really great things. And she's got a smile on her face and that makes me happy. Well, you have some big story coming up. So we should probably do a little tease. Um, what, what's going to happen this summer with Billy? without giving too much away. Yeah, a lot's going to happen. Um, you know, summer's back in town and that's going to stir things up for sure. She's got an agenda. I'm not hundred percent sure what it is or where it's coming from, but you know, um, I think Billy and Phyllis and Philly are going to have some challenges and we'll see how they work it out if they do. And, and you know, the, the collateral damage that follows it, you know, obviously he's CEO of Jabot right now. He's got his family to family issues with Jack and, and, um, and Ashley. And, you know, so there's a, there's a lot going on for him. I feel like he's one of these guys that when good things happen to him, he doesn't know what to do with them. He's more comfortable on the defense and, you know, and, um, kind of just being reckless in that kind of way. And so he's got this responsibility and I just don't know if he's, We'll see. I don't know how he's going to handle it. He, he, you know, he does a really great job for a long time, but then he's like, nah, this isn't me. It's just, it's going too well. I have to screw something up. <laughs> so, um, kind of the way he goes, which, um, I don't know. I think, I think some people, sometimes they just want to see, see a guy be responsible, but he's just not that guy that often. <laughs> no, this is true. <laughs> well, we look forward yeah. to seeing what's next. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us today. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's really great to talk to you both. Thanks. Have a great day. Have a good one. All right, you too. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much to Jason Thompson for being our guest. Be sure to pick up a new issue of Digest on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.